We obviously all recognise Babak Gambari, <laughs> who is very kindly agreed to talk to us today. Yes. Um, okay, so the obvious question, mm -hmm. what inspired Under the Shadow? What inspired Under the Shadow? Um, basically, um, chatting with my parents about the time, you know, I was born in Iran in the 80s, right in the middle of Iran-Iraq war, so it was basically tapping in the childhood memories um, and speaking to my parents, especially my mom, about, uh, you know, that time, that period. Um, and um, uh, yeah, and, and spe especially because my dad is a doctor and like the young father in this film had to go and serve um, every year for a month, uh, you know, at the front line and, uh, and, uh, during the Iran-Iraq war. And both my brother and I still to this day had some like, were quite wimpish. I guess that's the way you can say it. And uh, night terrors and stuff like that. Not wimpy. <laughs> children. Uh, not well, children. I said still to this day. I'm still a child, I guess, <laughs> deep inside. But, um, and so I was asking my mom, like, what, why do you think we're like this? And she kind of started blaming herself, saying that, oh, you know, during those months that your dad was away, I was trying to be a protective mom, but I was really stressed out and like and, and scared myself so maybe subconsciously I passed along those fears onto you guys as uh, my children so and that was literally the spark I felt like that's a good idea for a horror film slash psychological thriller and is your mum really pleased that she spawned this horror she film? is actually <laughs> she, is, she is very happy and proud <laughs> yeah um so, you know, I've heard you talk about Under the Shadow as being a horror film, but also people talk about it as being kind of political or social commentary. So mm -hmm. how do you predominantly see it? How do I see it? I don't think it's fair for me as a filmmaker to, to explain how I see or dictate to the audience how they should sort of interpret the film. If, if, if they want to see it as like some sort of like a political metaphor, that's great. If they just want to watch it as a haunted house story, that's great as well. So yeah, I guess that's a that's sort of kind of copying out, but yeah. No, no. understandable. <laughs> yeah. And tell us about the set, because it is quite, you know, limited, a block of flats and a room. So how did you use that to your advantage? Uh, well, from day one, doing my first feature, it just made sense that it needs to be sort of a contained story. And uh, um, you mean like in a, the way we shot it, or like generally like? Well, I suppose the story does feel, you know, very tight and claustrophobic. So yeah. and it needs it needed to be. I mean, it's all about that claustrophobia and the feeling of isolation and feeling trapped inside your own uh, home. Uh, um, it wasn't so. just the budget then that made. No, it. no, no, no. It was like it just you know it kind of made sense that you know that's the way to tell the story. But then it also made sense to make this as a sort of a first feature, like you know, with a lower but low budget, because uh, mm -hmm. you know it was quite contained. Yeah. And is it preferable having a smaller space to work in? Can you kind of, I don't know, be a bit more creative with that space than if you were kind of given the world? Uh, definitely, because you 100% have. I think you have more control and and. Um, yeah, especially on a like a limited budget and like uh, sort of limited time because we only had 21 days to shoot. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it, it just worked very well being in, in the same place. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that you avoided a lot of jump scares mm -hmm. uh, in the film, which obviously so many horror films have all too many of yeah. nowadays, I think, way too many. Um, so can you talk about the techniques that you used instead to terrify the audience? Um, 
basically, uh, one of the key things from day one for me is that less is more. Like, I didn't want to reveal too much of like what the monster is or like, you know, like the the horror. And like for me, it was always like trying to. You know, I, I always wanted to put, try, I was trying to put the audience in the main character's shoes. Like, you know how like when you're alone, you kind of sometimes sense that some, you see something in the corner of your eyes and you turn around and everything's normal. You know, like that like usually was my reference point. And, and I guess then other elements, like obviously um, the way we shot it, you know, starts off quite like, like a sort of a social drama, um, social realist drama, of, and then bit by bit it shifts and becomes more, I guess, um, you know, more genre or like more expressive uh, as we get into the main character's head. And then sound design was really, really key for us, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, because uh, I knew that it was going to be a very sound heavy film. Mm -hmm. mm. So tell me a bit more about the sound design then. What were you trying to emphasize and what were you, you well, know, really focusing from on? From day one, I, uh, when I was even writing the script, I knew that I'm not, I don't really want to use a lot of score. I mean, the only uh, bits of music is like the um, opening credits and the end credits. And uh, my composers and did like a lot of like soundscapes and like drones uh, uh, that the sound designer used. Uh, and during the edits, then my editor, Chris Barwell, like spent loads of time trying to create this sort of uh, temp sound, uh, which is really key. So then we took that and took it to Alex Joseph, our, our sound designer, and was like, please use this as a guide. And obviously, he's a, he's a great sound man. And he took that on board and like sort of made it better and offered a lot more. And so, yeah, ended up which you experienced. <laughs> and yeah. how about the, the CGI? Because I was watching it and thinking, again, so many horror films rely heavily on CGI. Mm -hmm. And actually, there was, wasn't was a huge amount of that. So was that deliberate? Sure, yeah. I mean, it comes back to the whole idea of like not revealing too much. And all the effects in the film, I would say it's like 50-50. We try to do as much as we can in camera. Mm -hmm. And even if we can't do it in camera, at least get enough reference points. So that the VFX guys doing post can like sort of use that to, to sort of, yeah, create more sort mm -hmm. of, I guess, CG elements, yeah. Um, and also, I suppose the, the massive thing that I noticed watching this was it felt like a really staunchly feminist film, which was so mm -hmm. great to see. Um, so obviously you deliberately set out to make it like that, presumably. Um, to be honest with you, I, yeah, I did have a certain agenda to, you know, go and like, you know, write and direct a feminist film and you know I'm not that sophisticated <laughs> uh, I, I just I just wanted to tell an honest story and mm -hmm. and because my main protagonist is a woman and uh, you know I just wanted to make sure that she's complex enough and uh, relatable enough because um, that's why it gets perceived as a feminist but you know um, yeah it, it kind of came naturally uh, and then uh, surprisingly after I finished the script when I looked at it I realized like all the men are pretty much in the background and all the uh, even like the supporting main characters are all female so yeah but oh. I didn't have like a deliberate plan <laughs> to make us yeah well it was great to see well did thank you, you did you identify do you identify with being a feminist uh, of course uh, well You'd like better. Said, yeah, that was a really leading matter. comment. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but um, but like I said, my knowledge of feminism is uh, you know on the surface. You know, I don't have a deep knowledge, but uh, it just makes sense. Like you know, I don't think anyone. Yeah. But you were talking. I've heard you talk about um, how you uh, deliberately didn't film it in Iran because you 
needed Narges, the actress, to be able to take her scarf off and mm -hmm. you know show her face and everything, which you wouldn't have been able to do yeah, yeah. in Iran. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me more about the, the limitations and... Sure. I mean, yeah. to be honest, that's one of the many things. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, they're fantastic filmmakers in Iran, still working there, and they, they always find a way to go around lim limitations. But, but, you know, being based here and working here, I you know, got quite spoiled. And, and I just want, you know, I just want to tell my story the way I want it rather than constantly worry about censorship and certain li limitations. So uh, that's why we, we chose from. We chose that we, you know, we knew that there's no way we can go and film it there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's why we, we decided to film it in Amman, Jordan, which was a great location for recreating Tehran, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, and Ashida is obviously fiercely protective of her daughter, mm -hmm. um, but she also has quite little patience for her in mm -hmm. the film. And she often refers to the doll Kimia as it, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and because she's so brilliantly stubborn, you know, there are so many contradictions and contrasts in her character, I thought. So what qualities did you really want Narges Rashidi to emphasize in Shida? Um, basically all that. To be honest with you, if you meet Narges in real life, she's nothing like Shida. <laughs> and that's just a testament of what a great actress is. And she, she basically become the, uh, she became this character. And... Uh, it just like during rehearsal, we just went through a lot of her like backstory, like as a character, and like, uh, and then there's certain elements obviously she took from her own life because she was also born in Iran during the Iran-Iraq War, but she left when she was really young, like five, six years old, like immigrated to Germany with her family, and grew up there. Uh, so you know, obviously we, there was that common ground, but then we sort of started there and like sort of built her character mm -hmm. uh, from there. Um, yeah, and Dorsa is the cutest little girl <laughs> and those gorgeous chubby cheeks. Yeah. So can you tell me how you found her and was that was it like an audition process? Did yeah. you see her and go, that's her? <laughs> how did it well, work? That's exactly how it happened. So we approached the Iranian community here in London and also in, Amer in LA. And I, I met like about, it didn't take me, uh, it didn't take me long, like it uh, took me like I saw about 12, 13 uh, children, and then as soon as Ovin, who plays Dorsa, walked in, she was like, she's the one. And bear in mind, yeah, she's, an, she's a non-actress. <laughs> like, this is the first time she ever acted, been in front of the camera. And, and I just knew she's the one because she's super smart, super creative, and very talented. And um, yeah, so that's how. And then once we said uh, you know, to the family, yeah, Ovin is the one, they said, OK, here's the thing. We're refugees. We don't have travel documents. If you want to go oh, to Jordan to shoot, and I turned to my producer and was like, "Well, <laughs> we've got she's the one." <laughs> so, um, and then they they really tried their best, and like they got the Jordanian Film Commission, and then the royal family got involved. So oh they yeah, they got her special papers to manage to bring her bring her in. Jordan. Oh, yeah. Thank goodness for that, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. When I was watching Under the Shadow, I thought this is really quite reminiscent of a lot of Polanski movies, mm -hmm. so Rosemary's Baby and Repulsion. Uh, was he a, a major influence major on your film? Major influence. Yeah. I mean, uh, Polanski's apartment series were like one of my first sort of sources of inspiration, you know, uh, Repulsion, The Tenant, and Rosemary's Baby. And obviously, I had like, you know, other references like, because, you know, at the, at the heart of it, it's a very gothic story, but in a different setting. So, like, you know, films like Jack Clayton's The Innocence was a 
It was a huge influence, and and the original, the haunting by Robert Wise. You just uh, love creepy children. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, horror—it's it's a quite a common thing in horror films, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tell me about the doll, because I know that you went through a because we've had films like Annabelle, you know, mm -hmm. and like the porcelain face and everything, and you went for a rag doll instead, which is much more kind of child friendly. Yeah. I well, I purposefully didn't want to uh, Kimia look like a creepy doll uh, from day one. You know, I was just like, you know, I don't want that. And then in the script, actually, I wrote it down as, as you know, plastic doll, the plastic face. But then it was like really close. Um, we were like a few weeks before shooting when I was like going through doll after doll after doll, and I realized that it's really hard to find a doll that has plastic face and it doesn't look creepy. So <laughs> I ended up deciding on on a rag doll like mm -hmm. last minute because it was just sort of like it's just much yeah a lot more cute and and yeah child friendly yeah. Like you say. Yeah. Did you have when you were little? Did you have a, a kind of doll or anything that you used to play with and kind of have imaginary games with? That's a very interesting question. Um, I didn't, but my brother before I was born he had a doll called Kimia yeah because oh. and my mom because he was like I really want a sister and my mom was like yeah you're gonna have a sister but in the meantime here's your sister <laughs> and then and then I came, came along and I was like no sister for you <laughs> so yeah yeah I love that Kimia actually existed yeah. <laughs> um what kind, of, what kind of originally drew you towards the horror genre? Because I, I saw um, your short film Two and Two, which is excellent. You must check it out. It's on YouTube if you haven't seen it. It's so good. Uh, and it has this fantastic payoff at the end, but it's quite horrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the nicest possible way. It's very dark. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> what goes on inside your twisted mind is basically yeah. what I'm asking. I don't know. I guess I'm really twisted inside, <laughs> but trying to have like a very smiley sort of front. But, <laughs> but uh, um, I, I, I don't know. Like, um, are you saying that what? What kind of, yeah, so the horror genre has obviously got some pull for you. Mm -hmm. uh, what is that? Uh, uh, why is that or what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, to be honest with you, with this one, it just made sense for me. I don't want to get pigeonholed as a horror director. Like mm -hmm. even like the next project I'm doing, it's more like a thriller rather than a uh, horror. I mean, I love the genre, um, but um, I love many other genres as well, and I want to show a bit of variety in the future. But um, uh, with this particular film, it just made sense because '80s. Uh, Iran was such a dark, intense time. You know, it was right after the revolution. It, it, there was a war going on, mm -hmm. so it just made sense to to make a sort of a horror film set there. <laughs> yeah, um, we're going to turn over to the audience in just a minute, but I just want to take you back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. And could you just tell us about your your real breakthrough moment, the moment when you mm -hmm. thought you've made it into the industry? Uh, breakthrough moments. Well, I guess um, you know, I always wanted to become a filmmaker when, since I was like 10, 11. Um, um, but I would say two points were like, yeah, I'm on the right path. One, when I made like a very short animation when I was still in Iran at the age of like 15, uh, and that went to local cinema and it was shown publicly. And it was like, ah, That's great. That's so cool, at audience. 15. Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah, it was a great pattern of that. And I guess then I was like obviously working here and there. But then the second moment, I guess, was Two and two when it got nominated for BAFTA, which like that really paved the way um, to yeah, 
and making this one. You know, I got signed with my UK agent, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So I guess, yeah, both of those moments were, were the key moments. And you've talked yeah. about, obviously, Polanski. Yeah. But when you were 10 and 11, who was, was um, it Polanski or who was Oh, no, well, it all started with watching uh, Spielberg and Tim Burton films, yeah, like, right. obsessively. Amazing. And that's when I was like, you know, I really want to do this, you know, watching, like, Close Encounters mm -hmm. or, like, um, E.T. But, yeah. Um, and finally, from me, your films, you know, they do seem to have, whether you watch them as horrors or as political commentaries, they do mm -hmm. seem to have a quite significant messages. You mm -hmm. know, it, it feels like you've already found your voice, which is incredible have for I? so early on. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, think, it's still, you know. a, still a long road ahead. Yeah, of course. Still, yeah. You're still very early on in your career. Yeah. Um, but is there a film or a director at the moment that you think has really got a message worth telling? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't really... It's just, I think good filmmakers are all about being good storytellers, not necessarily like messengers or mm -hmm. like, you know, and, and I have many favorite uh, filmmakers who, who um, you know, I genuinely find inspiring, uh, regardless if they have a message, you know, as long as they tell a good story, mm -hmm. um, you know, for, but like, I don't know, I can, I can, I can give you a very long list, <laughs> but I don't, I don't really want to. Uh, but you know, like um, you know, I love like Aronofsky, and mm -hmm. I love Michael Haneke, and I love um, Chris Nolan. On the other, hand. I watch I watch anything and everything, mm -hmm. um, and I really enjoy you know from blockbusters to sort of more art house films. So, so like I can say, yeah, I have like just so many out there that that I love and respect that I can't just narrow it down to like one or two. Yeah. That was a hard question. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, it's over to you now. We've got some roving microphones. When you first saw the film on a big screen, were you as terrified as I was? Um, I was terrified, but not in the same way. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I was just really, you know, it was a very nerve-wracking experience, like the very first public showing of it. And um, so I was like, ah, how, how are people going to react? Um, but then afterwards, it was very well received. So I was like, Whew, okay, a bit of relief. And the second <laughs> question is, have you shown it to Jane Fonda yet? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think uh, she's seen it yet, but they were super helpful, uh, you know, when we approached them. I had to, like, write a letter to her saying how much Jane Fonda workout takes mean to me. <laughs> they do. How much do they mean to you? <laughs> a lot. That's why I put that in the film. You know, it's my workout every morning. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, no, but they were super helpful, with, uh, you know, with, like, providing us with the clips and everything. And I really hope one day she, you know, does get to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that question. Uh, gentleman over here. Um, my question is obviously in terms of the Iranian film community. I mean, is it, how difficult has it been, is it for them to say break out and make something like what you've done? Is it, is it very compartmentalized over there or? Um, it is, I mean, especially with, um, the, well, there's not, it's the, not by the culture, I guess, with the authorities, they have like, there are so many rules and conditions when it comes to filmmaking there. And, you know, like you have to write a script and the script needs to get approved. And then, um, that doesn't mean that once, once you make the film, they can still ban it. Um, you know, um, I mean, so many great filmmakers in Iran, they never get a chance to show their films inside the country. They always get a screen outside the country. And, and um, yeah, so it is, uh, but then again, like I said, like filmmakers, they always find a way to go around it. 
uh, these limitations. But horror as a genre, it's really interesting. It's a huge fan base inside Iran for horror films, but they filmmakers that don't necessarily, it's not a very popular genre for the filmmakers to make. I mean, Iranian cinema, I think, predominantly is more like social realist uh, sort of dramas. I just want to ask you a question about writing. Um, you're being very modest and, and also obviously understandably saying, well, it's your political interpretation, so I'm, I'm going to give one. Um, I'm just wondering, there's such a rich heritage of mother and child stories in haunted house horror movies. And I, it just struck me that, and bouncing off this gentleman's question at the front, that the reason why it was so layered and nuanced is because there's a cultural sophistication. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder, when you're writing it as a writer, this kind of a, a very genre-based film, where we've seen it before and we've done it before, does that, does that cultural difference give you that extra layer of sophistication where you can subvert it for us and go, oh, you think you've seen this before, but now I'm going to give you this? which is very culturally specific, and, and that's why it becomes so sophisticated. Well, um, to answer your question, yeah, of course. I mean, that was one of the reasons I was so excited about this project. I was so passionate and, uh, to get it made, because, like I said earlier, I think ultimately it's a very gothic story, you know, yeah. mother, the ch child in a, in a haunted house. But it was the, you know, for me, the exciting part of it was, that, oh, how about I take that and put it in, a, you know, set it somewhere that not many, you know, the international audience are not very used to or, you know, not have much knowledge about. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and that's that kind of what drove me. Because, um, you know, as a first feature as well, you know, Farsi language horror film set in 80s Tehran, you know, it wasn't, when I, when I started <laughs> pitching it to people, that was always like, hmm, are you sure? I was like, yes, no, this is the one. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and then luckily, you know, my, the producers, Wigwam Films, they're the ones who took the risk and mm. took it on board. Um, so, yeah, it, that, was, that was the driving force, really. My heart sometimes sinks when I see written and directed by, because in an ideal world, the director is telling the writer, you know, you've got to drop those scenes, uh, uh, and the writer is explaining to the director, no, we must keep this bit because such and such. Now, how, who did you turn to to do that in, in, in doing this film? Um, uh, that's a very good question. <laughs> I had like certain sort of layers. But before, obviously, it went to my producers. It was just me and my wonderful agent here who kept giving me notes and a very close circle of friends who I always trust and, uh, you know, I send my scripts to and stories to, uh, one of them being here tonight. Uh, and um, and then just reading them and like give me some feedback. Uh, and now obviously when when Wigwam optioned it, it was just you know they're fantastic producers. It was them who kept giving me notes. And obviously there were a lot of heated debates about certain parts. And my rule is always that if they if they question something, if I cannot defend it, then there's an issue there. That's always my number one rule. Um, yeah. How do you anticipate its reception to be in Iran if it gets released in Iran? Well, I, I, you know, in terms of, I know that people in Iran, they always get their hands on films, uh, you know, uh, so that people are going to watch it. Uh, hopefully they will, they will like it. But in terms of like, uh, you know, cinema release, I don't think that's going to happen probably, yeah, because uh, 
Iranian authorities have a, usually have an issue with films being made about Iran outside of Iran because they can't really control it. Um, and, um, you know, they're going to be certain hardliners not going to like it. I mean, it, already start, it has already started. Like, you know, uh, you know I remember the first one uh, happened like, when he got into Sundance. Um, some hardline website, somebody sent me that just had a massive headline saying um, Iranian, yeah, uh, anti-Iranian film in a major American film festival. <laughs> I was like, you haven't even seen the film. How can you just like, judge it so quickly? Uh, so yeah, there's always going to be that sort of aspect. But I'm hoping the people there, you know, they get to watch it and they enjoy it. Yeah. How long did it take you after finishing the final draft to being greenlit? How long was the process? Uh, okay, very good question. Um, <laughs> from moments, so basically from the moment I started writing it, the moment we started shooting, uh, it took three years. But the first two years, uh, you know, I had a full-time job working as an editor at MTV, and like, I was doing, I was working on it during my free time, and then, like I said, getting notes from my agent, and then after, that's why it took, a, you know, a bit, you know, I only had like weekends and evenings, and then after two years, I guess, like the script was ready to go out to producers, and and then Wigwam Films optioned it, and I spent about an another year, just an o over a year, with them developing it further, and uh, yeah, then then they secured the financing, and then we went off to shoot it. Yeah. One of the other kind of protagonists in it was the Jin. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of curious about the visual development of it and whether there is a cultural reference to sort of ghost stories. Is that their kind of names? And also, was there more than one? Because I thought it was either the old man upstairs and then there was the woman in, in the sort of cloth or the woman mm -hmm. was trying to take the child. So I was just curious if you could talk a bit about that. Um, Jin is a very, very popular myth uh, across Middle East. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of like demons in the in the Middle Eastern culture, but and every Middle Eastern country has their own take on it. Um, and um, so, yeah. Um, and to answer your question, you know, and then they're, they're shapeshifters. That's like known with them, like you know, they because they don't have a physical form. You know, if you want to look into the sort of like yeah, the the rules, they <laughs> they can shapeshift and become like sort of like whatever you fear. Like, um, and, you know, like demons are there to sort of like harm you and, and they're jealous of human beings. And, uh, and I don't know, if, yeah, funnily enough, when I was writing this script, I always felt like there's like a, you know, good team of them sort of like <laughs> figuring things out how to, how to sort of manipulate this modern daughter. <laughs> so, I, yeah. I wonder if there was a conflict between whether they're trying to take her or... You know, what was going um, wow, on. that's getting to, to. I guess that's like for you to interpret it however you want. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I think you're squir squirming out yeah, of that. Yeah, I know, answer. dodging, dodging. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you very much uh, for those questions. I just want to finish on um, one about your f future project. So you mm -hmm. were just talking about a thriller that you're working on. Can you tell us anything about what the next steps for you are? Sure. I mean, I, um, the thriller one is kind of more like a Hitchcockian sort of. A new noir uh, thriller, um, sort of uh, set in the UK and in English this time, <laughs> but, um, but um, yeah, and I'm doing it with Wigwam Films again, the producer Under the Shadow uh, and Film Four supporting, uh, and then I have few other projects, but you know, sort of in you know early days, still chatting and talking and see see you know what happened, you know. 
film industry, mm -hmm. you know, things slow down, things fall apart, so you always need to be busy and be ready. Yeah, oh, I hope have, they don't fall apart yeah. for you. Yeah, I, I hope so too, <laughs> but you never know. Yeah. A massive round of applause for Babak Anvari. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank